everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week, I have a cool guest, and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learned a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. Hey everybody, what's up? It's Trent McClellan with the TGP, the Generators Podcast. I know, I know it's been a while since we've uh, shared some time together, and I want to apologize. I mean, um, I've been busy. No, I haven't. I uh, I've not been busy at all. Well, I may have been doing some things, but I had time. I could have done it. I could have done it. But uh, I'm back, you know, and it is exciting. I feel like the prodigal son coming back, you know, he spent everything. And the dad is just like, come on in. You're welcome in this home. I'm hoping that's what you'll be. You'll be that father who was just welcoming me back with loving open arms after all these years away, uh, uh, wasting my riches that I didn't even have. Um, Anyway, good to be back. I hope you're doing well. I understand that it is a crazy, crazy time and that you're doing the best you can and maybe take a moment to acknowledge that you are doing the best you can. And on some days, that's good. It's enough. You feel great about it. And on other days, it doesn't feel as good. That's normal. I think that's what every single person is going through. People are hitting the emotional wall uh, at different times where like, wow, man, it all hits you at once and it's a little overwhelming. And again, that's normal in these different times. And then you'll have days that are really, really good. And uh, I've had them too. So join the club. You're just like everybody else. And uh, just understand and realize you're doing the best you can. So hats off to everybody out there hanging in there, plugging away one day at a time. I'll be honest with you, I had a rough time the first couple of weeks. I had a lot of anxiety, I think, as to kind of what's this, what's going on, what's the new world. Uh, My career as a comedian doesn't exist. The profession doesn't exist at that time. You know, there were no more shows. Tour was canceled. Um, Everything was just on pause. And that's a pretty freaky moment for someone to to realize that everything that you looked at as normal and always being there does not exist anymore, at least for the time being. So that was kind of weird. And then I got into a situation, situation, excuse me, where I thought I got to provide some structure to my day and um, started exercising and just doing small, basic self-care type things. And it turned around and now I'm kind of embracing what this, you know, new life is like. And And uh, again, feeling that it's going to be temporary, that we will get back to um, what looks more like normal eventually. But this is where we're at. And I kind of had to learn to accept it. And then it got easier for me. So I hope if you haven't done that, providing some structure for your day, I think is something that can really help you if you don't have that already. Uh, Maybe doing some meditation, doing some basic exercise, just taking a good walk. You know, I'm amazed at how just getting out and taking a good walk, getting fresh air, sunshine, whatever. Just getting outside. It's amazing how that changes your mood. And just forcing yourself to do it even when you don't want to do it. I'm telling you, give it a try. It is magic. Magic. Anyway, I hope you're doing well. So, setting up today's uh, episode, I have my good friend, sports broadcaster Brendan Dunlop. I met Brendan a bunch of years ago in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. I think we connected through uh, social media and then got to hang out in Halifax when he was there covering the uh, CIS, the Canadian Men's Basketball Championships, and just a good dude, a great guy. He's a fantastic sports broadcaster, knows his stuff, and uh, is a true pro. And so, yeah, we get into this episode, talk a little bit about, um, you know, a little bit of everything, uh, sports-related and how this new world looks going forward. So please... Get your favorite beverage, huh? Or if you're walking, pick it up a little notch here now. Here we go. Here is uh, my conversation 
with my good friend, Mr. Brendan Dunlop. All right. What's going on, Brendan Dunlop? What's going on, buddy? How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing well. You know, I'm coping. I'm uh, growing the quarantine beard so people don't think I'm just trying to be fashionable. I do, uh, I do want it to look like I've, I've been in lockdown, you know, uh, yeah. forced, a forced lockdown. I don't want it to look like I've, I've kept it manicured and kept. I've done very, very little at all to the hair, just trimmed around the ears to tolerate it. And that's about <laughs> it. I, you, look like, um, you look like witness protection, you know what I mean? Like you, you, have, <laughs> you have a checkered past, but you're a new man now, you know, and you've moved to a new a new area and uh, you live in the suburbs. It's quiet life. You're not the old guy you used to be. That's what you look like. Yeah. Yeah. The, the suburbs of Fort McMurray. That's definitely <laughs> what it looks like I am right now. Yeah. I'm trying to be, but I'm off the grid. I don't want any of that 5g connection. I've, I've you know, got my own water well out there. I'm yeah. good. You got solar, solar panels. You're uh, you're that guy now. Yeah. You come into town once a year to get all your supplies and you go back <laughs> down a logging road and no one sees you for 12 months. But. <laughs> yeah, that's it, bro. That's, ex that's exactly what I feel like sometimes, but I'm keeping well, man. Things are good. Family's healthy. Got the dog. Um, yeah. So things are good, man. Yourself. Yeah. Good, man. I gotta be honest. Like the first couple of weeks was, uh, I think for a lot of people too, it was just weird and a lot of anxiety and nervousness about what's going on. And then I realized I did a couple of things to kind of improve my situation. I stopped watching the news every single yeah. day and reading these horrible statistics. I'm like, okay, that's not going to help me. And uh, I just tried to develop a bit of a routine, you know, like walking the dog, running, exercising, uh, just drinking more water, like small things to try and just get some structure back to my life. Because otherwise it was just all right, just sit around here, I guess, and wait for someone to let me out of prison. Like, I, I didn't, you know what I mean? I had no structure, and I realized I need that to some degree. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think we all do to some degree. I mean, not having sports, this is the first time in my life where there's been no sports. Like, since I was six years old, even, you know, there's off-seasons in that, but there's still some sport to watch to be distracted by during that off-season. Even if it's soccer in some far-off country, there's something to watch. And for the first time in my entire life, there was absolutely nothing. So yeah. first couple of weeks, it just felt like, yeah, it's an off season and strange because hockey hadn't finished and NBA hadn't finished and you were bracing for the playoffs. You were bracing for the Raptors to defend their title. But then it just, it just kind of felt like the off season now though. And I'm sick of all these replayed games. And now as we talk about the potential of it coming back, but it's just this constant speculation of it could be this, it could be that it could be this, it could be that. And really there's, there's no answer to it. So we're still in this waiting period as to when sports will actually come back and how. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I guess Bundesliga, right, starts this coming yeah. weekend. And apparently some of the rules are just like, like no spitting. So yeah. I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. But we both played soccer and it's like you get that situation in your mouth and you're like, it's just a reflex to spit. But I'm like, okay, that's for soccer players. How are Major League Baseball players going to deal with not spitting if that's an actual rule? Like that's one of the skills of a baseball player. It's like running, throwing, hitting, uh, catching, and spitting. Like that's, you, that's what you learn at a baseball camp as a kid is how to spit. So how, how is that going to work? It's like hockey trying to come back and be like, look, we're going to play all in your home arenas, no neutral venues. You'll all know the, the, the space. You'll be familiar with everything, but you're not playing with skates. Right. What? <laughs> we're playing on ice without skates now? How, how's that going to happen? So, yeah, without spitting for soccer, it is, it is pretty crucial. Stepovers, keepy-uppies, and spitting. If you're good at that when you're seven, you got a chance to be a pro. you got a shot, man. There's an agent knocking on your door for sure at seven years old. Like, all right, the kid's got something. I like his spit game. I like his spit game. Um, and then, you know, people ask legitimate questions. So you go back to your first competitive match, all this – Stuff's been going on, the anxiety of, of the whole COVID thing. And now there's a corner kick. How close are you getting in someone's grill on a corner to mark that person? Are you, you know, are you getting touched tight like you normally would? Is that still in the back of your mind? Or can you just flick that switch and go, no, I'm back to competing and I'm not thinking about that stuff anymore. Meanwhile, you still have to think about the new rules of not spitting. Do you know what I mean? Like it's almost, how do you, how do you mesh the two worlds? It'll be really interesting to see how they like enforce that and how, you know, how strict they are on that. I think visually from a, you know, from an optics perspective, they want it to look 
safe. So you're going to see all the, the coaching staff with masks. You're going to see probably the officials and the linesmen potentially with masks as well. And everyone look like they're being safer. I, I think it'll be hard. It's more of an encouragement, a suggestion. Look, guys, just try to stop spitting and definitely don't spit when this camera's on. This is where the camera is. This is where that camera is. This is where that camera is. For the rest of it, we'll just be wide zoom to capture the atmosphere of this empty cauldron that you're in. To not try and you know book everybody. I mean, imagine the red cards. Like if you're given red cards for spitting, yeah. <laughs> finish the match with the three versus two out there. Yeah, it's like it's like okay, who did he spit at? Oh, he spit at no one. He just spit in general, and we can't have that in our game. Maybe there'll be 15 minute. Every 15 minutes there'll be a spit break. There'll just be the referee will blow a whistle. Everyone gets a bucket, and uh, you can spit. And then it's like, all right, let's go. And it's you know we we move it on. So. I don't know. You know, match match day two. That'll be the new thing. Like when they when they introduced during the World Cup when it was too hot in in, uh, in Russia and or, or it was Brazil, I guess the water breaks after after thirty minutes. These scheduled water breaks, thirty minutes or or before. That'll be it. Like oh, that's scheduled water break. No, it's it's too hot here in München Gladbach. Scheduled water break, and everybody goes into the tunnel so they can spin this bucket. Yeah, and just, I was on a breakaway. I was on a breakaway. Oh, well, that's it. We got to uh, time to spit. Everybody, let's go. Spit take. Good uh, the the lineup to get to the bucket would be like at the bar. You know, when it's like one forty-five at the bar, and the lineup to use the one toilet. <laughs> that's what it would be like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Except you can't get the guy ahead of you to spit for you. That's the, that's the only difference. Like, dude, dude. Just, just a quick one. Just get me one. No? Oh, ah, come on. You know, so. <laughs> um, the other rule that I thought I heard is that you can't, you can't give instruction with someone within so many meters of you kind of thing that, you know, whether it's man on turn, whatever. But I'm like, how are you, how you going to do that? Like, that is a reflex ingrained in your head. Push out, keeper, whatever the call is going to be. How is someone now going to look around first and go, how close are people to me before I can give that instruction to you as my you know, as my center midfielder or whatever, like, how, like, you know? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, I think, again, optically, you know, the, the league has to look like it's taking all of the player safety uh, first as a priority before just money and getting the sports back. So, I mean, that's, that sounds good on paper, but that's very difficult to execute in real life. I'm sure they've been practicing it in training and, you know, the intensity in, in training is, is probably, at least the, the last few days, it's probably matched you know, uh, not mid-season, but regular season intensity as far as the training is concerned. But replicating that at a match uh, in an empty stadium, again, thinking of these rules in the back of your mind, uh, I feel for these players, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be in their position. I know a lot of them are upset to be away from their families, and um, that's what's holding up, you know, the return of North American sports. Major League Baseball players seem to surprisingly be the most vocal about that. Like, look, we love the game of baseball, and we understand that we're handsomely paid and very well rewarded, but do I really want to be away from my family for you know longer than maybe I already have been? Five six weeks in Arizona in some hotel, and five six weeks maybe you're, you you don't even have a plan. You don't even know if it's going to be three months. So I can see a lot of the resistance to it, man. And really, what happens in the Bundesliga is going to set the tone for the rest the rest of sports, which is which is crazy because for the most part the Bundesliga isn't even on the radar in the sports world, and now it's going to be uh, it's going to set the, set the bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about it is, and I'm kind of excited to see Afonso Davies. And I, yes. it's funny, I was out for a walk last night. And I was thinking about, you know, this, the Bundesliga and, and Davies. And I thought, like, we've never, ever had a Canadian international who's had that much hype, you know, and especially at that young of age. And I should say that in the, you know, a male player, obviously, Christine Sinclair has had all of her accolades and she's a, she's a superstar on any planet. But um, to have a guy, a young Canadian player that people are genuinely this excited about and players and people think that this guy could play with any club in the world and still fit in and still blend in. I'm like, that has not happened in all my years of watching soccer and watching the, the national team and, you know, the heartbreak that's gone along with that. To see a guy get those accolades to me is, is, is amazing. Like, what are your thoughts on Davies? Have you had a chance to watch him play live yourself? Yeah, uh, I saw Davies play those two matches against the United States in the Nations League. So I was in Toronto for that when uh, Canada stunned the, stunned the Americans. And then I went to Orlando when uh, the, the Americans woke up and yeah. <laughs> realized how strong they were and really uh, really pummeled, pummeled Canada down Orlando, which was unfortunate because the program, I thought, had made a lot of strides. And, and the, the program itself has made tremendous strides, Davies being a huge part of that. One thing that I noticed someone had pointed out, but you could tell immediately, was the intensity of the training sessions because you have a player of that high quality who has now had you know a year and change in one of the most intense 
uh, top level environments, that raises the, the intensity level uh, and the skill level of everybody around them. So think about just, just ha- having one player training in that elite environment, you know, come to the, the national program where you've got players from everywhere and players certainly at different levels. He's up here. It's mm-hmm. going to raise the level of everybody. And um, that's so impressive. And that, that's what's been great to have a player like this that, you know, Canada's had some phenomenal players, produced phenomenal players in the past. Paul Stolteri played in the, in the German Bundesliga for years. He was a champion with Werder Bremen. Dwayne Di Rosario, uh, still, you know, uh, at least until Alfonso Davies usurps him, the best Canadian player in, in my mind ever produced. Uh, but Alfonso Davies is playing on one of the best teams in the world. And he's even pushed out one of the best position players at left back and David Alaba out of that position because he suits it better in that, in that lineup. So uh, yeah. he's just been, he's just been so impressive, man. It's uh, I, I, I can't wait to see, you know, the heights that he reaches because they're going to be pretty huge. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the great thing too about Alfonso Davies is that he is the modern player in terms of that, that speed that players now, the game is so quick transition is so quick and he's got wheels. The, the kid can out and out just out sprint people. And when you have that ability and you put him in a, in a wing position, like in that left fullback position, I mean, it's just a channel to up and down go. And if you've got a motor, which he has, it's, it's a green light. You have the green light all night to just get involved in the attack. And you are now going at people like the, you know, um, Danny Alves, like those, those kind of players where just, when you have that, now the other team is thinking like, oh, I can't be on the attack now because I got to watch this guy all night who's just going to be overlapping and overlapping. And uh, he's just the modern player to me. He really is. I mean, he, he can play essentially any position on the field. He could be, you know, his defensive qualities are, are his, his weak point. Uh, and he, he's still strong enough to be uh, a defender in the German Bundesliga. So he really can play, you know, anywhere except goalkeeper out there. And that's what, that would make <laughs> yeah. him so lethal. We may so see him there yet. Yeah. yeah. We may, hey, if, the, if everybody keeps spitting, I mean, like, goalkeepers spit the most. They're always yelling at everybody. Yeah. So I think that, that that might be it. That's how we get Alfonso Davies between the sticks. Because, yeah, Davies, uh, grab the gloves. Let's go. Let's stop spitting. I was having a blind uh, on the left wing. No, let's go. Put the gloves if on. You, if, if you asked me, would his goalkeeper game be as good as his TikTok game? Uh, I feel like that's the measurement. Like anything yeah. else you, you make him do, it's, it doesn't match his TikTok <laughs> game, uh, which is pretty darn good, man. I don't know if you've gone down that TikTok hole, but Alfonso Davies has made himself a TikTok superstar. Yeah, yeah. I saw an early video that he did. Uh, I think he was doing a lip sync or something of some song. And it was, I was yeah. like, this kid's like got, he's got game. Like he can, he's literally like a legit, because you, you forget like, all right, he's a kid. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, he's not just a professional footballer. It's like, no, he's still he's a kid. still a teenager. Yeah, it's insane. I'm like, oh yeah, of course you would be on TikTok blowing up, doing your thing, you know? So, um, all right, dude, take me back to Brendan Dunlop walking through this hallways of his elementary school, his junior high, his high school, who was this kid? This kid had a beard uh, of the same same length as mine. Born with a beard. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Uh, well, grade one. That's when I started to grow facial hair. Um, <laughs> walking, through the, walking through the hallways of my elementary school in Windsor, Ontario, where I grew up, buddy, I was obsessed with sports. It was, you know, watching The Last Dance now has, you know, brought me back to thinking about those early years and Michael Jordan was my first sports icon. Michael Jordan is the reason that I love sports and became obsessed with sports. And I, I, I watched every you know highlight show uh, that was sports desk back then available because you didn't have all the games on. I watched every playoff game because it was nationally available. I had all the books, you know, I had all the t-shirts and that. I vividly remember the Barcelona Olympics as, you know, Michael Jordan bringing basketball to the world stage and you know, being young, maybe too young to recognize how important that was. But realizing, well, all of a sudden, me and basketball fans didn't seem to be the only people who loved this guy or knew this guy. He was a global superstar. So, yeah, I've always been obsessed with sports, man. I always, I, I think I recognized at a very early age, I wasn't very good at it. I played soccer and I played baseball as a kid and realized, oh, I don't think I'm going to play that travel rep team this summer. <laughs> but I really like sports. So I just spent all summer watching that on TV. And, and that strike, you know, the, the baseball strike in 94, I remember every day going back to the channel that was the channel before the score and it was just scores it was just like these graphic boards and the scoreboard that would turn over and over and over and i would watch that forever because every time it would come back it would come back with some new stat and so in that that summer of the of the baseball strike i would just uh, turn it on hoping that there would be a score that they'd come back 
because you don't have Twitter updates and I wasn't reading the newspaper. So that would have been the only way I knew it came back if, if that board would tick over, man. I've, I've been sports obsessed forever. So I've been, been very blessed to uh, been able to make it a career and go to school for it and started the score and then at Sportsnet and uh, cover it for a living, man. It's pretty, pretty great. It's funny, yeah, man, the, the childhood memories of what sports coverage was back in the day, right? Like, I remember getting up and having breakfast in the morning, I mean, in elementary school, and all you had was, like, just your national news, quick sports clips. So, like, Oilers beat the Flames last night, and they show, they'll show, like, two goals, right? It was like, yeah, Gretzky to Curry, and that tied it up, and then the game winner by Mark Messier. You're like, and that was it. That was all I saw from that game. That's all I knew. And then you, you realize the breadth of sports coverage and how it just grew after that. And to me, Graham Leggett, like soccer, you know, this, the whole the soccer news, starting with the soccer news and then going on. I'm like, that was my introduction to like, oh, wow, like games and like all the teams that are in the UK. And, you know, it was it was like it was like going on a plane and traveling somewhere. Like I remember being feeling like I was transported to this brand new world of like, what is Norwich and where, where the hell is a Norwich? And what is it? You know what I mean? Like it was just, you know, the, the blazers with the, uh, you know, the, the, the square patch, you know, like the, it was, it was just amazing to me, but it, I was a kid in a candy store when that happened. You know? Yeah, man. So that, that soccer Saturday with Graham Leggett on, on TSN, that was a lot of people's introduction to, to sports and, and why a lot of Canadians think that Scottish soccer matters more than it does because Graham Leggett would always show you whatever the biggest game was first in England and then be like oh, time for the, the Scottish report and be like oh like man hearts hearts and hips moving up and down the table and it, it you know yeah Graham Leggett is responsible for Canadians thinking that the, the Scottish Premier League is uh is, is massive and up there as one of the top leagues in the world but yeah man I've got those memories too I, I used to love the watching the, the Bundesliga uh in the in the late 90s there you know with the Jurgen Klinsmann and they were good on the international stage so to see these teams and uh, read these team names and cities that you couldn't pronounce i was really intrigued by that i, I liked the bundesliga in the late 90s there yeah it was amazing it was amazing um in terms of going into this as a career as a sports broadcaster like i often think when i talk to people who have kind of unique professions and obviously mine i consider to be somewhat of a unique profession as well i didn't have access as a kid growing up i had no access to someone who was a comedian or an actor as a kid. Like it wasn't someone I could just go up to and talk to about, hey, I have three questions for you about stand-up comedy or acting or whatever. For you, did you have access to anybody in the, in the sports broadcasting world that you could kind of go, oh, okay, that's, that's a tangible thing I could become. That's a career I could have. Like what was your, what was your pathway into it? Yeah, my interest into it actually, funny enough, was in grade eight, we had this assignment on what we wanted to be, uh, you know, when we grow up. When grade eight is your, your last year of elementary school, at least in Ontario, before you go to high school. And it was this old teacher and she, you know, she, she wanted to see where our heads were. And I said, she did a poll before we wrote this. She's like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. She's like, oh, an actor, great. Are you going to do theater at the, like the local Windsor Theater? And she named some productions. I'm like, no, I'm going to be in Hollywood movies. And she's like, oh, great. Yeah. I don't think you should write that for your assignment. She's like, I, I, no, I don't know you very well, but I can already tell that you have other interests and stuff. I, I don't want your assignment to be an actor. Have a thought about another career, next person. And I thought, who is Mrs. Mikich to tell me that I can't be a $10 million a movie Hollywood actor? This woman. Yeah. <laughs> and I, went, I went, went home and I was watching Everybody Loves Raymond, which was like a regular for, for me and my family, just over dinner. And he was, a, Raymond was a traveling reporter for the Knicks. And it just hit me. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, a traveling reporter for a sports team? I could totally do that. So I go and I write eight pages on being a traveling reporter. Not for the Knicks, but I, I don't remember the specifics of it. But I just blasted out this eight pages. I was so happy with this. I turned this assignment in. She comes around. She puts it face down. Yours was the best one. I flip it over. It's B minus. I'm like, B minus? How, how is it the best one to B minus? And she goes, I asked for one page and you wrote me eight. Like, ah. So that was kind of the, the start, bro, honestly, of when I, when I really thought like that should be a career. And then I went to high school with that thought. So I didn't have any access to media. I, I did, you know, I went to Speaker's Corner a couple of times just to spout off whatever random opinions I had, uh, because I thought that that would be, you know, one way to get comfortable in front of the camera is you, you try yeah. and away, look. Where, frame it up. Over. Let's, yeah. oh, here. So I remember doing that a couple of times and I got on the Windsor, Windsor's uh, speaker's corner there on the, on the new WI probably that station would have been back then. Nice. So did that, 
did that a couple of times, but it wasn't until I got to university and I didn't get into Ryerson. Every guidance counselor told me, well, it looks like all of the uh, established professionals in the industry you want to get into, they've all been to Ryerson. Oh, okay, great. So I didn't get in there. So that was my first taste of depression. That was uh, not getting into university uh, there, but I went to the University of Guelph Humber. And really that was my first access to people who had worked in, in the industry. Uh, my professors who worked in the industry. One of our first assignments was pick a, a, a sports writer and call them up and interview them. And I hadn't lived in Toronto to read, you know, the Toronto newspaper. So I didn't know. So I called all these guys from the Detroit free press or e emailed probably uh, that I'd read, you know, growing up in Windsor, not one phone call. And I opened it up the sun and there's this guy, Mike Zeisberger, and he'd written about the Leafs or something. And I'd written it, seen a couple of days before. I'm like, this guy's good. So I call him up. And that was the first time I got to speak to anyone who was in the industry. And we spoke for maybe an hour. He helped me with this assignment. He was great. And we got to cross paths and work together at the score and sports night a couple of times. He's still a multi-sports writer covering hockey everywhere. That was the first time I got to speak to anyone at all. So similar position to you where I, I didn't really have it. I just kind of consumed it. So in, in watching TV and listening to the radio, I got an Ernie Harwell bobblehead here. And that was okay. probably my first, my first taste of, of, you know, broadcasts and recognizing it as an art. He called the Tigers, Detroit Tigers games for literally 50 years. Uh, so he was this great old voice to fall asleep to when I was a kid. Tigers baseball on WGR. Yeah. And that was the, that was the start of it. That was the, yeah. the, the, the recognition of the art for me. And then, yeah, just, just something I, I consumed as much as I could when it was on TV or in any medium. And uh, yeah, fortunate enough to step into it, man. No, it's amazing because what I found amazing in, in most careers in general is that, the optics of what it looks like from the outside, once you're in it, it's completely different. Like there are some things that you take in, you're like, oh yeah, that's kind of how I thought it would be. But for the most part, like for me being a stand-up comedian, I'm like, oh, those guys just get to joke around all day and then they get paid and then they go sleep. I'm like, yeah, I think, I think that kind of fits with my personality. I think I, I have those traits and <laughs> you know what I mean? Then I realized like, yeah. oh, there's relentless travel. Oh, there's drunk hecklers. Oh, there's times when six people show up. Oh, there's times when you have no gigs and you have no money. Like all I saw was the bright, sunny stuff. I didn't realize like, oh, there's this other basement of, of horrors down here that I didn't know existed. Um, what was your experience like with that? Was there, were there things that once you got in the door, you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is more than I thought. Yeah, I think I, I didn't realize so much was volunteer. <laughs> I first got in the door. That was a surprise. You know, you hear the term when you're applying for university, internships and placements. You're like, oh, yeah, internships. But if you speak to anyone who was studying in any other field, like, oh, I don't know, finance or poli sci, all of their internships were paid. And so you realize that's not how it works in media. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, prove, pay my dues and prove my worth and, and then I'll be rewarded. And then you are with like a 28.5 or, or whatever, you know, entry level salary. Uh, they, they dish out uh, if you're lucky to get a full time with benefits. Yeah. Uh, so I, I worked I worked three and a half part time jobs at the score. They were all at the score for about three and a half years before I got full time. And then my first take home pay, I realized, oh, God, they did this to save money. Damn. <laughs> I didn't realize I was going to be taking home less money by being full time. <laughs> so, so that was, that was one thing that I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for, but uh, someone told me at some point that, you know, it, it looks glamorous. These guys you watch on TV have great suits. They travel all around and, you know, Chris Berman makes $5 million a year, but that is not the case for most people in media. So don't go into it for the money. So I think I was wise enough to, you know, not go into it for that and, and expecting all, all the riches right away. Um, but, uh, but paying the, paying the dues was, was hard and grinding until, uh, four or five in the morning, cutting, you know, two minute radio features that might get played a handful of times because your program director really didn't care much about soccer or formula one. Yeah, yeah. that was, that was a bit of a learning process. <laughs> Not all sports matter. That was another thing that I didn't realize going in. Not all sports matter. It's, right. You know, the rights play such a big factor, rights and rights and ratings, um, you know, dominate far more, I think, than the consumer realizes and, and understanding the business side of it uh, was something that you just you wouldn't have a clue about until you until you're actually in it and you kind of see over the years and it's changed so much even just in the 15 years that I've been in the media um, mm -hmm. you know how much rights cost and and how much the ratings kind of dictate the, the the movement and the plan and the, the protocol of, of stations and that so that the business side of it is definitely something you wouldn't have a clue about until you're in it yeah is that why 
I turn on the television and I end up watching dog shows sometimes. Is that why there's a dog show? I'm watching a poodle jump over a small fence. I'm like, I can't, I can't bet on that. I don't got a horse in the race. I can't, hey guys, wing, I'm bringing wings. I got beers. The dog show's on. Shh. It's, it's a, oh, I love the Doberman. Uh, like, wh why do sports networks put on sh dog shows? Can you explain that to me? Because it, it attracts a wide audience. It, okay, it, it gets, I need you to be it, serious. It, I need you to be serious, Brendan. You've known me a long time. I need you to be serious. <laughs> There's no way that attracts a wide audience. That's it. zero people. It, no, it really does attract a wider audience. So, for, for example, there are a lot of, of people who have sports networks on their cable packages that would never watch them. They, they, the channel is included in their cable package because they pay the total bill because they want to watch something else. <laughs> but they would never watch that. So you can get that, that uh, person who would have no interest in sports uh, but loves dogs all of a sudden watching your sports channel. And you'd be surprised at how that multiplies across this vast, wide country. So while the numbers in Toronto and in Vancouver for the dog show are probably pretty low, all of Manitoba is watching. And all of northern and southwestern Ontario is in on this. And French Canada, who ignores the sports networks unless – the Canadians are playing. They're all over the Doug show. So honestly, and the, the question I get asked the most is probably why is curling on all the time? And curling is actually the third biggest draw for the sports networks. Wow. Collectively, if you were to, if you were to, to look at it over the course of a year, uh, so you know, unfair to the Raptors in playing 82 games, but for the, if you find some, some ratio to make it even, curling would still be, would still be third. And super high on that list, probably number two is wrestling. WWE wrestling is massive across the country. Their swing, but the, the, you know, the lowest ratings, probably three, 400,000. And they, you know, may, might peak at, at 800 or, or a million. Uh, that's better than the Raptors. That's better than the Blue Jays over the course of a season. So those, you know, those sports that we, we think, uh, you know, aren't as, aren't as big or aren't as attractive as a TV property are huge. When they do come on, people flock to it. Yeah, curling I kind of get. Like, I don't watch a lot of curling myself, but I do appreciate that a lot of Canadians get behind it. I find it more of a um, – it's more of a community sport. You know, like, people quite often, like, oh, they know Frank, who is the skip of the Manitoba team. Do you know what I mean? Like, they have some – it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing, where it's like, oh, yeah, I used to work with Jim down at the, uh, down at the plant. You know, like, it's more – you know, so they're, they're coming from our local communities, and you have access to them, and maybe you curl next to them on, you know, Tuesday nights back in – Flin Flon, Manitoba, or whatever it is. So I kind of get that to a certain degree. Yeah. I at dog shows, if I'm like, oh, I need to watch something competitive, and I turn on, there's like a guy in a suit walking a Labradoodle. I'm like, I gotta, I can't be here. I can't be in this world. And it's always, it, it's always like a big deal, and it goes viral when the dog like takes a crap in the middle of this event. It's like, what are you expecting? It is yeah. there's there's green turf everywhere. Yes. You've been working this non-working dog. In order to put on the show, of course, that that's going to happen. Exactly. And no other sport is that the highlight. In no other sport <laughs> are you like, I hope that happens. I hope if <laughs> I hope if that guy's about to get a cross in, he does that instead. I hope that that, like that was no one expected that. Zero people expected that that would happen. Um, but yeah, I think that would change the highlight shows, bro. That would change the highlight shows completely. If, if <laughs> and, you know. Instead of that, that breakaway goal, it's like, oh, the breakaway crap. Like, oh, this is when he quit on the play. This is where he disputed his contract and the renegotiating of his contract in that very moment. That's where he, his last days as a Toronto Raptor, uh, instead of the breakaway dunk, we had, but um, it's funny you brought up the last dance earlier because, dude, I've been, like, I, Mondays, I cannot wait for the new episodes. Like, I'm glued to it. And I watched a, an interview with the director and uh, he brought up a really good point. <clears throat> he said that because a, it's Jordan for one thing, but also this footage that no one had seen before. The reason why this is amazing is because we never got to see that from that era of player. You know, now, you know, like you said, you know, you know what LeBron James house looks like and you know what kind of car he drives because it's Instagram and social media. Back then there was none of that. So for some reason, because of that, the novelty of seeing Dennis Rodman doing, you know, lap pull downs. It's like, we just never would have seen that. So now it's almost like, Oh my God, that's how they did it. Like it's a peek behind the curtain as to why these guys were great. That's the, 
the main thing. And the second thing I realized is just how ruthless Jordan was. Like, I mean, from to his teammates, to the opposition, like just how driven that guy was, like no prisoners. I don't care. All I care about is winning and I will pull all of you there. Like that's the two things that I just realized, like, yeah, that's why it's an amazing doc. It's an incredible doc for, for a lot of reasons. And yeah, those, those are probably two of the biggest highlights. I think a lot of people were so at that time because there wasn't the access and yeah, you, you didn't really get to know uh, Jordan, the person beyond what you were presented by the mass media and certainly commercial media. And I think that that was, in the, you know, he admits in some of the later episodes, like that's something that he, he really struggled with this idea of I got to be perfect because, you know, be like Mike is in the Gatorade ad. Like I like gambling. So what? It's not a problem to me. Why is it a problem for you? And then you saw he went away for those years to play baseball and came back even more focused on championships. And, and I think that's what they're beginning to highlight as we now get to the, the end of this series in the last dance is that he just became this relentless winning focused person that no longer cared about, you know, being a good person uh, to at least in a lot of people's eyes, he was so, so focused on winning that if I had to hurt your feelings to win, well, I'm going to choose winning every single time. Yeah. And uh, uh, that rubs a lot of people the, the wrong way. Uh, that's not something that you know we saw from from athletes uh, as in depth. Whereas someone like Kobe, who very much had that Mike quality, um, you you saw that. And in Kobe's later years as a player, well, it seemed like you know the the tide had turned on people loving him as a as a player because his skills had diminished and he was holding the team hostage because he still wanted to be the guy. But he had that in, in his DNA is that focus and determination that he totally got from Mike, where he just he just wanted to win. And so yeah. I can I can understand practice as being pretty difficult to uh, to play with Mike, but at the end of June, if if you've got another ring on your finger, um, you know, in his eyes, at least that's what matters more, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think you're right too. The Kobe parallel is interesting to me because Kobe had a similar work ethic, and in terms of I'm going to do whatever I have to do in terms of putting in extra hours, getting in training sessions to make myself better and to lead us to a championship, and then you contrast that with Shaq, who is like, I'm going to make a rap album this summer. And I'm going to be in a movie. And I think you see how they would have butted heads because their philosophies towards the game were completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Kobe learned, you know, at an early, very early age, why Mike was the best. And that that, that work ethic, that fo like just killer assassin focus and determination was it at all levels of, of basketball. So he he copied that very early on why he was so successful and yeah naturally why Shaq and Shaq and Kobe didn't work for you know much longer than the, much longer than they did and, and MJ and Shaq wouldn't have worked and kind of any player that that had you know a, a skill level of of Shaq but didn't have that same determination and work ethic that he did um, that's what you're seeing in the last dance you know with some of these players like who are nowhere near Mike's level uh, even Steve Kerr who was an excellent player um, nowhere near Mike's level but Mike expected at least show me you're trying to be like me uh, or trying to compete at, at this level, excuse me, yeah. um, and, and show this intensity. And then I can, res I can respect you, recognize that your game is not as good as mine, but I can respect that you're absolutely giving it your all at every single moment, not yeah. just when the TV cameras are on. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think, too, for Kobe, putting in all that work in the summer to be a better player, and then you come back for the start of the next season – and you watch Shaq still unable to make a free throw. Like after a while, I think that would be like, dude, like let's make less albums and let's get your ass in the gym on the free throw line and let's just feed you balls and figure this out. Like you're a professional basketball player, right? So can we get you in that gym so, so that you can at least shoot? I don't need to make them all, but can you make 70% so that it's not just hack a shack all season long? Like I think, because ultimately that would have put more pressure on Kobe to dig them out of a hole because you can't make a free throw. So, so when we dump it to you, if they foul you, we're not scoring on this possession. So now I have to take the ball into my own hands to try and create something to get us a bucket. So I think sometimes it's ego driven, but also if you step back, you're like, no, I need to be able to share it. I realize I can't do it all on my own, but if you can't make a free throw, then yeah, I'm going to dribble this and set a pick and roll till I can get myself a shot. Cause when I dump it into you, nothing happens. Good. Anyway. Yeah, perfectly said. And and you see Mike uh, in in I forget what series it was. I don't think it was the Phoenix series, which John Paxson won. But where the the play was, look, they're all over you. Like, let's give it to Pax. And he knew that John Paxson was working as hard as he possibly could. So okay, I'll give I'll give you the ball to win the game. And if you miss it, then you're gonna 
have to uh, you know, ever win my trust. I just kept giving him the ball and he kept sinking those shots. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great to watch how Mike's, like really see how Mike's mind work and the, the people around him, how that, that all gelled together. Because we just talk about them as the dynasty and everyone thinks about Jordan and Pippen and later Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman. But it really was a, is a team dynamic that, that they're exposing in that, in that episode that people didn't get to see, exposing that series. And that's what people are, are digging. Yeah, for sure. And you're up to date. Have you watched all of the episodes as of, that have been released? You know what? I'm actually miss. I haven't watched episode eight. For some reason, I, I tend to, on Monday, I watch, I watch one. And then I'm like, I'm gonna come back to the next one. And then I don't for like a few days. So I think that's just me stretching it out because I'm loving it so much. Yeah. But it has affected the way I consume. Like on Sundays at, at 8.59, I put my, the phone down and I, I don't open any social media until I've watched the, at least the, the first of the episodes on Monday, uh, thanks to our delay over here. Every, it seems like a lot of Canadians are finding illegal ways to, to watch it live at nine o'clock in ESPN, but I'll let those people, I'll let those people do their thing. Uh, you're definitely missing that, that element though. Right. And that's a, another thing that's changed with how we consume live sports is you're too screening. You're watching it on TV, but you're also following it on your phone. And I'm super guilty of missing things on TV because I'm, I'm reading tweets. And I want to see what this coworker said or what this reporter said. Then you're actually taking away from the game. I think a lot of people are really enjoying having that, uh, watching it live and being able in commercial breaks to treat it like a game again and join that live conversation. So I am missing out on that a little bit, but the content is so great. It's worth waiting for. No, I, I can do, I can deal without any of that. Yeah, for sure. The new appreciation I had too was for, for Phil Jackson as well, because I realized that collection of players is not an easy collection of players to get all on the same page, but his ability to do that, to make everyone kind of dial in. And when you let Dennis Rodman just take 48 hours to just go be Dennis, I'm like, can you imagine right now? Like, can you imagine, I don't know, Javinko when he's with TFC and it's doing the, they're, they're doing the huddle and uh, Greg Vanny's like, yeah, no, we're just, we just let him go to uh, uh, Ibiza for 48 hours. To just, oh, is he injured? No, he just uh, he just needs some time to uh, like what a gamble that is to just go yeah. that could have backfired horribly where he ends up getting arrested or you know whatever but it's like no let's go let Dennis be Dennis I'm like that is a ballsy move dude huge and I think I, I think Phil probably knew he was taking a big gamble but he felt as though he had to do it and it would be the right thing to do and that also he could win Rodman's trust uh, a little more by you know, by breaking the rules or breaking the norm and allowing him to do that. But I love that he had to bring Mike in on that before it was the green light. Cause I think <laughs> Phil was always going to do it, but he's like, well, I got to do it with like Mike's approval, not approval, but that Mike understands at least sees where I'm coming from. I got to make sure Mike sees where I'm coming from. And I love the telling of that exchange 48 hours, Phil, you let him go. You are not getting him back. Well, no, he needs it. He needs it. And then Mike has to go and get him out of Carmen Electra's bed. That is amazing. It's crazy. And I love how he goes, I, uh, uh, Mike, Dennis needs a bit of vacation. He goes, Dennis needs a bit of vacation. I'm the one who needs a vacation. It's like, I'm, I'm carrying this crew here right now. It's like, well, you know, Dennis is Dennis. And uh, anyway, that kind of inside thing to me was like, what makes a good doc to me is just the rawness and the honesty of it. And I love how it's not a fluff piece for Jordan where it's like, Guys are like, yeah, like it was wasn't always easy, and uh, you know he's very honest about his perceptions of other players in the league. Like, it, it's not a um, NBA inside stuff, and everything's light and fluffy. It's there's some yeah. there's some drama and darkness in there too, which I think adds a lot to it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've seen criticizing it and saying that you know it is uh, well a Jordan controlled narrative, and well, he, to be honest, he's earned that if he's giving us this access to it now and all that he accomplished as a player and as a businessman, he's earned the right to control the narrative. But I do, I agree with you that he's shown uh, more than I might've expected um, given, given that total control uh, to show the dark side, to show, to, to let the audience see that, yeah, he wasn't really the nicest guy, which I think is something that was often very protected, certainly by his commercial sponsors throughout his career. So to be able to show that, to really show the human side. And I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be at the top of sports and to have your father, 
pass away, uh, you know, as tragically uh, as, as, as his father did. And then to have the world who seemingly loves you and has put you on this pedestal turn and suggest that you had something to do with it. I, I couldn't imagine being in that situation. So the fact that they included that as part of the story, because obviously it's part of Mike's story. Yeah. That to me has made the documentary great. <clears throat> and, and these, these, all these haters out here, they're just jealous. They didn't come up with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what I like about it too, is it's left no stone unturned, right? It's like any rumor you may have heard about Michael Jordan or anything associated with him. They're like, yeah, let's address it. Like let's, and I like that he gave them that like, no, go ahead, whatever, whatever you want to ask, whatever you want to approach. It's like, he gave them the green light to do it. You know, he could have said, no, I'm not talking about that or I'm not, I'm not going to address that. He's like, no, let's go at it. Except Jerry Krause, except the, the, the dead GM who can't, who can't speak and defend right. himself. They've, they have like very much demonized him. But they've hinted, they've hinted that, that it kind of turns towards the end of this doc, that you kind of get more of Jerry's perspective. I don't know how that's, that comes about, but apparently they've hinted at that. Dan Lebetard made a good point on his show the other day talking about how the, you know, everyone has blamed Jerry Krause for this, and then the documentary kind of paints that he's the one who broke up the team. When in reality, the owner, Jerry Reisendorf, he's the one who writes the checks. He didn't want to spend the money and he's got a history of, you know, choosing financially uh, savvy ways to kind of get out of things. And yet everyone seems to think that Jerry Krause is the, is the problem. And, uh, and, you know, Reisendorf kind of really didn't pull that away, but he's at the end of the day, it's, it's his money. So if he really wanted to keep it going, he could have written the check. It's not the GM who made that call. So no, sure. Yeah. It's argument. It ends up being a business decision, you know? So um, yeah, it's just interesting. There's, there's so many different plans. And I, and the thing for me was the swing of the whole Scotty Pippen narrative of like, wow, look at yeah. Scotty taking a pay cut. You know, he deserves more da da da. But then you see another side of Scotty Pippen where you're like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't realize, I thought he was just the quiet guy who didn't rock the boat. And then you realize like, Oh no, there was, there was shit going on behind the scenes that no one was seeing. Um, and again, I, I like the, the frankness with regards to that Pippen owns it. You know, I also love to, you know, the difference in, the advancements of technology where the, the, the lav mic that he's wearing in those sit down interviews really captures how deep his voice is that yeah. you didn't recognize as a player. Like, Oh my God, like, could we have got him singing at some age? Could you imagine him <laughs> on the <laughs> mic? Yeah. R and B's greatest yeah. Scotty Pippen. He would have been that fifth guy, you know, in those boy bands that like just, Hey girl, you know I love you. Like, he doesn't actually sing anything. He just has that, you know, 10-second interlude where it's just <laughs> with the very white, sexy voice, you know. Right. That, that would be his opportunity to actually be Michael. It wasn't 94 when Mike was gone. It was Michael from Boys to Men, who had the deep voice and just did those interludes like, <laughs> like you inferred. <laughs> he should have joined 98 Degrees. That's what he should have done. Mike went off and did baseball, and Pippen should have joined 98 Degrees and just been, dude, would have been that guy, like just a 6'8 a black dude. Is it like, yeah, girl, we really got to be. You know, like, just like, they're like, would have been amazing. Would have been amazing. Anyway, you know. You know what so many people are surprised by is my, my musical interest. I grew up in Windsor, so I listened to a lot of Detroit sound. And R&B was just massive in the mid-90s. And I absolutely loved Boys to Men. Like, they were my, they were my favorite. That was, that was my, my introduction to, like, new music. That was the music I listened to that I heard. It wasn't my dad playing the Beatles. It wasn't, you know, some introduction from somebody else. I heard that, and I was like, I love this stuff. I may not understand what they're saying because I'm seven years old. Uh, I, I, I don't know what adults would have thought. I'd be like, hey, uh... Yeah, you know, your son loves boys to men. Yeah, he does. Yeah, does he know what they're singing about? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> but no, I absolutely I loved R&B. He just knows he's a boy, and eventually he'd like to be a man. I mean, it's, it's exactly. whatever it's to. It's, uh, it is what it is. Exactly. Oh, you know, just that kid walking around Windsor, seven years old, having sex. Yeah, that's me. Uh, loving R&B. I'll and make love to you like you. You're like, what the? What, can you turn that down? <laughs> trying to have dinner here. Um Dude, I'll tell you to switch here a little bit, but two years I went to the Final Four uh, in the U.S. And uh, two of the greatest, like, kind of weeks of my life, just because you're totally immersed in NCAA college ball. I mean, you and I have done, obviously, the, um, the CIS weekend and stuff together and hung out, and it's a great time. And it's like the U.S. version is just – it's just steroids, man. It's just like everything is bigger. So the year that Kentucky was undefeated, do you remember that year? It was 2014 where they were undefeated. They play Wisconsin. 
in a mm-hmm. Final Four. Yeah. I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm in the stadium. I'm like, I'm getting to watch Kentucky live. Man, they're gonna, I'm about to watch them go undefeated, the first team since 76, and they lose to Wisconsin. And, dude, I'm just sitting there just confetti's falling and stuff. People are losing their mind. And I am, like, in shock. Like, I can't move. I don't know what to say. And we have tickets for the Monday night as well, the championship game. And we're, we decide, like, yeah, we got to go. I mean, we're here. I mean, I'm in Indianapolis. Like, I'm not going to not go. And so we get to the game. And next to us are some Wisconsin fans, and they're all in red. It's Wisconsin versus Duke. And uh, Duke, of course, wins the championship. And I look to my left, and this older Wisconsin fan, this guy must have been 70 years old. He's just crying, like tears streaming. He turns to me and says, I'm really sorry that uh, your Kentucky team got knocked out because I still have my Kentucky stuff on. And he goes, the good news is your team is going to get back there in your lifetime. And I'm never going to see this again. And I went, oh, it's just different down here. Like, this is not, this is unlike anything we would even relate to. Like, that's the level of passion and almost like religion for these guys, you know, because that Wisconsin team, too, was all homegrown talent for the most part, mostly Wisconsin kids. Dude, it was, have you ever been to a Final Four? Have you ever got to one? Never to a Final Four. No, I've seen, uh, I'm a big Michigan State fan, actually. This is what I'm drinking out of. I'm a big nice. Michigan State guy. So I went to, went to Lansing um, last season, 2018, 2019, for the first time to go to Lansing. I've been to Syracuse to see a football game. So I've seen the camp- campus there, the Carrier Dome. But no, I've not gone to Buffalo. Uh, they, do, they do a lot of the, the, the tournament earlier than the, the Final Four setup in right. Buffalo. And uh, for, for whatever reason, I've never, I've never made the trip. But I'm a huge fan of it. I mean, March is, is one of the most uh, unproductive months of the, of the year for me uh, because I'm just so enamored and, and I'm a fan. I'm a fan again. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just watching basketball constantly all day. So, no, I love it too, man. That's very cool that you had that experience and to have that moment with that guy as well. I know, I know that, uh, you know, as a, as a good person, you, from a human perspective, you definitely understood that and that's really struck a chord with you, man. Oh, man, it was, it was just unbelievable. And just the whole, you know, of course, the whole weekend, of course, is just events and parties and this bar is owned by Kentucky, for example, and Wisconsin's got this bar. And, you know, if you go to the right city where everything is kind of close and close to the stadium, if it's one of those downtown deals, you know, where a lot of times now they put these big domes out in the middle of a field, you know, outside of yeah. you're like your cabinet from the hotel. You're like, are we? are we going to another state? Like, where are we heading? It's like, oh, no, the dome's out at the, you know, some industrial park in the middle of nowhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. 47-minute cab ride. Yeah, I'm not about that. <laughs> and, and, and then you have 76,000 people trying to get a cab afterwards to get back into the city. So um, the one in Indianapolis is right downtown. And it was just, I mean, Lucas Oil Stadium, I guess, is where it was. 76,000 people watching Wisconsin versus Duke. And the other thing I realized, and it's kind of how I feel about the World Juniors now, hockey, you realize these are kids. You know, when you're live watching it, you're like, well, that kid's got acne. That's right. He's 17 years old. He just happens to be seven feet and 250 pounds. Like, and we're all screaming and yelling our heads off. And then I, I realized like, oh, these, these are kids. Like it, it hit me. That makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's easy to forget, right? Because the, it gets the attention of pro sports and there's as much money as, as there are in, in pro sports and, you know, there's another argument uh, for another day that it sucks that the players aren't getting a cut of that. You know, that's that's yeah. one thing I really hope changes um, post-COVID and whatever comes back, that we, we look at these things that existed as institutional operations for a long time, but just really don't make sense anymore. And we should change them. I, I really hope that uh, there'll, there'll be a shift in that and, you know, developing some type of, of, of payment. You know, not that's, you don't even have to call it profit sharing. Just do some type of stipend like you do in junior hockey for these players. If they're playing for these programs that are earning t- tens of millions, billions of dollars in some scenarios, uh, these sports programs that are keeping these, these uh, educational institutions in operation, then you've got to share a cut of that with the players. So I yeah. do hope that uh, at the end of all this that, that, that they'll find some type of situation. It's not just the star players that get to benefit because they've got, you know, a million Instagram followers. It should be across the board. Yeah, I agree. I remember Mitch Albom's book years ago about the Fab Five. I don't know if you read that book. Um, It was amazing when he talks about Weber in the cafeteria and he can't pay for all the lunch that he has. So he has to put a sandwich back because he doesn't have enough money to pay for. And meanwhile, his jerseys in the bookstores sell him for like 95 or 100 bucks. And Mitch Albom's like, that's when I knew he wouldn't be back for the next year. Because he's like, what? So you're profiting off my back, but I can't buy lunch? Like it just, it just doesn't add up. And meanwhile, these coaches are getting five, six, seven mil a year. 
right? And, oh, we're amateur sports, amateur athletics, you know, it can't be sick. But that guy's, that guy's a millionaire and he's got a shoe deal just as a coach. And I'm, I'm the one putting in the work and lifting the weights and hitting the shots. And I, get, I can't take a sandwich? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, all, all under the, you know, the guys that they get to walk away with a, a world-class education and, and you know, a, right, yeah. a, degree in, in a degree in pool cleaning or uh, a, lot, a lot of these guys end up in programs. It's like, well, what did you study when you, when you played three years at Wake Forest? A Swahili. Uh, really, Jeffrey? You, you studied a Swahili? Yeah, the whole program. We were all, we were all in that Swahili program. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, 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 I think you're right. It's going to be completely, uh, torn down and built back up. And I think there's a way to yeah. do it so that it's not, you know, it's not insane. And these guys are driving around, you know, driving around in uh, Range Rovers, but you can, you can do something to help these people. And that's why kids are bolting early to the NBA. It's like a lot of them come from nothing and it's like, I can't risk blowing a knee out. I mean, I, I gotta be one and done, or if I can, I'll skip college altogether and come right out of high school. You know, you're seeing more and more kids do that. Um, yeah, definitely. The, the pro going the pro route overseas, if you know, if they've got the pedigree and, and this is the thing too, if they've got the star power, like, uh, obviously the, the ball family is, is a very unique scenario, but LaMelo ball was, you know, never needed the NCAA. He was always going to be in a position to, to go overseas. And as long as he delivered and performed, he would, you know, stay at that level. He's going to be a top 10 pick, um, in the NBA draft when, whenever that does happen. So um, you're going to see, I think a lot of guys look, looking at that route. And I like that the G league is offering some of these, um, top recruits that, uh, that want to enter the G league and, you know, at $125,000, the reality is, is that they're getting more than that under the table to be a part of the NCAA system. So right. if they're superstars anyway, so there's gotta be a better, a better balance and a, a better way to work it out. Hopefully that's one of the things we figure out, man. I agree. So, dude, what is the thing you're looking forward to most once this world goes back to some level of uh, normalcy? Is it sports related in any way? What is that thing that you're like, oh, man, the second we're allowed to do what we do, this is what I'm doing. What is it? You know, I said to the wife the other day, actually, it's, it is sports related, but not in going to a game, not even traveling overseas. I, I, I'm going to miss going to uh, living in Toronto where it's, it's still winter right now. I'm definitely going to miss being able to to travel and go to a beach. Um, but I'm really excited to go to a sports bar and watch, watch a game, a game that I'm not hugely invested in. If, if it's, if Portugal's in the, in the final, if, if, if it's a, it's a massive game uh, for, for one of my teams, uh, I can't watch it in an environment in a, in a busy crowd, but I, I do like watching other teams and going to you know, the man city bar in Toronto is, is excellent. So that was the first one I thought of. Uh, I'm not a man city fan. I love Aston Villa, but I love being with th those guys in that environment. And uh, that's something that uh, I'm really looking forward to having a, having a beer with sports fans again and, and watching it on TV. That'll, that'll be great, man. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? The things that you would have just taken for granted before. I think that's what I've learned from all this. Yeah. There's so many things, you know, you're busy and you're just going and, you know, going into a coffee shop and sitting down with your laptop and just, you know, I used to do a lot of writing that way. You know, I would go in and just put on headphones and whatever. And I'm like, that's a thing that I miss. Like I legitimately miss going into a random coffee shop, especially when I travel. It's like, it's a good way to get out and explore and do whatever. Um, going to a sports mm -hmm. pub, you're right. And sitting down watching a game and ordering some wings and, you know, a beer and like, kind of like, all right, you know, like so many things that we just took for granted. And I think that's what I'm trying to take out of this pause is, what do I really value? What, what, what are the things that are actually important to me? And they're not necessarily those things that I would have thought those bigger things or career driven things. They're more simple everyday things that I just took for granted. Yeah. I hear you, man. I'm with you. Uh, the dog has enjoyed having me around 24 seven for sure. I do get that. I do get that look daily though. It's usually like humans have the, the three o'clock crash at work where they need that coffee. Yeah. Uh, for him, it's definitely, it's between five and seven just before dinner. Like, are you ever going to go out again and lock me up in my crate so I can be alone with my own thoughts? You two are here all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine is like, I've, I've really enjoyed that. Mine here in the condo, it's like we go out, we do a big walk every morning, we come back, and I'm like, all right, good. We got that out of the way. I can get some stuff done. Ten minutes later, he's just like, really, that's it? We're just, you're just going to you know, do the laptop thing now? Or I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't. And, you know, you're in a condo, so it's like you got to – I got to. I just can't have it let you out in a backyard and let you get some sun on your fur. You know, like I got to take you out every time. And he's just like, yeah, no, that's that would be great. If you could just uh, – let's go again. And uh, so there's no pleasing that guy. But you have, you have a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. That's, that's part of it, you know. 
That's how dogs, that's how dogs work, man. But you know, they, they know they got that cute face, right? And they can, they can win yeah. you over with anything. He's like, yeah, my, look at these eyes. Look at these eyes. You, you're going to get mad at these eyes. I'm like, no, all right, good. Okay. Let's, let's go. Let's go. So I got, I'm walking way more just as a result of his guilty looks that I, uh, I get all the time. All right, dude, I'm well, going to go look at him encouraging your fitness. You know, it's great. It's keeping, keeping you fit in this, uh, in this pandemic. But. So dude, that's the question I had for, I put it on social a little while ago. I'm walking the dog. I'm counting the steps, you know, on the old Fitbit here. And I'm like, okay, I just did 10,000 steps today. He's got two sets of legs. Is that really 20,000 steps for him? Is, is Have you tough? ever considered putting the Fitbit on his leg and seeing if you get more steps? Dude, I'm going to buy four Fitbits and I'm putting one on each leg and we're going to see. I'm going to do, do a test. Of course, but I know him. He won't walk then. He's like, eh, it's too heavy. I don't have the freedom to move I like to anyway it's a prima donna he's a prima donna even though he doesn't look like it but all right dude on the podcast for for the most part on most episodes i've ended the podcast with this question and it was a question that was asked to me at a job interview i used to work at boys and girls club years ago and uh this was a question that was asked to me in a job interview so i i, I always thought it was it's one of the best questions to kind of get to know somebody so here it is i know it's a lot of build-up now you're like dear god what is it but anyway here it is. What would you say is the biggest misperception about you? And then what is the truth? That's a great question. Um, I feel like I get razzed all the time for being uh, really into myself. <laughs> I feel like, but professionally and personally, my friends always seem to be like, oh man, well, your hair has to be perfect, you know, because you're all about your hair. And it's like, I recognize that, you know, I put some product in and, and I do get it cut every two, two and a half weeks. But I don't think that I like think about that as much as it seems like other people think about that. So I think that that's one, one misperception that I, I mean, look at my face right now. If I was really all into my looks, don't you think I would have controlled this better? Don't you think I would have a better handle of all this? Yeah. I think that that's, that's one mis, misconception about me. Uh, and what the truth is, is uh, I think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care as much as, as people seem to say. Uh, I like to have, you know, Portuguese looking hair. And because I'll never actually be the athlete, if I can just appear to look athletic, uh, for me, that's the way. So that's the real truth. I'm okay. not all into myself. I just want to deceive you into thinking that I might be mildly athletic. <laughs> it's interesting because quite often the answer to that question that someone may give is actually what what I'm thinking. So what you reveal is actually like, yeah, that's actually what I thought about you. But that's, but that's, <laughs> that's, but that's not, not what I thought about you. I didn't really think you were totally into yourself, whatever. I think if I would have just seen you on television, perhaps I would have been like, I, I, mm -hmm. I, that guy likes to look at himself in the mirror and his, he doesn't have a windshield in his car. It's just one big mirror. And uh, he just looks <laughs> like he's driving. But having to get to know you over the years, I'm like, no, he's not that guy at all. You know, so uh, but I think, especially with social media and stuff now, like people can paint a picture of who they think you are based on your photographs and what you tend to reveal. And they believe you're that person now, you know? Yeah, I'm surprised by that too. In this pandemic, I've, I've got TikTok and I've been playing around with social a little bit more, but I'm not really doing it with the, uh, the you know, the strategy that uh, normally I kind of have, which is like tweet at this time or tweet, you know, during the last dance because everyone's watching. I'm not just thinking about that really strategically, I'm just kind of doing what's fun. And that's surprisingly, that's what's great about TikTok. Uh, I thought it was just high school girls doing stupid dances uh, mm -hmm. and they're getting tens of millions of likes, but that's not the case, man. There's a lot of great comedy on there. There's a, there's a lot of fun and it's just short bit, quick digestive fun. And who doesn't need a smile right now? Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, for me, I've just, I've enjoyed playing around with the app and I've enjoyed watching it. And then, yeah, I've got some comments from people both uh, who work with me or know me professionally who are like, oh, you know what? I didn't know that that personality was there. I'm like, what? You don't watch the soccer highlight packs and block five of the show, man? What do you mean? The jokes always come out there. So <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I'm not getting a job then. I'm not getting the job because we didn't have the same, same answer. Right, yeah. So now it's, I, uh, I put you, you know what? I'll put it in the file here. We've, I've got a lot, of <laughs> a lot of candidates today. Well, the funny thing about it is what I get, my, my answer to that question would be, people often think that I'm just always on, that I'm, because I'm a comedian, that I must be just constantly like, hey, zing, whoa, what's this? Look at me, whatever. And they don't realize that I have a serious side and that I, and I can do it. So that used to frustrate me quite a bit because 
that's how they would interact with me is that like, waiting for the show and expecting and, and then you're like you know it's like anything else you have a mood and if you're in the moment fine if you feel it you know it's just it's organic but for a long time I was like wow I can't I can't be around these people because they expect that from me and uh, I found it hard to navigate for quite a while mm -hmm. yeah I can relate to that a little bit as well man uh, definitely when I meet kind of friends of friends it seems um, I, I can quickly become very uncomfortable when I feel like this person is is talking to Brendan, the broadcaster, and yes. that's what they're expecting. And it's, and it's you know I'm I'm happy to have conversations about sports for sure, but there's a feeling you get when someone's treating you like oh the sportscaster expert or treating you like someone they watch on TV. Where there's this yeah like, you know make me laugh, tell me a sports opinion. What? <laughs> How come you don't know this stat? And like when it be quickly becomes that, it's like look, yeah, I'm just here to hang out. Yeah. And it feels like work. Like it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm actually in work right now. Like it, that's the mode you go into. And I go into that mode as a performer. I'm like, oh, you need something from me. You need, you want me to be that thing. And I'm like, I'm in a Starbucks, like, or I'm in a bar having a beer. You and I are having a beer and someone comes over and it's like, they expect that. And it, it's like, it's a, it's weird. But I think over time you get comfortable in your own skin and you realize like, I'm just going to be me. And whatever that is in the moment, that's what it is. And I don't feel a need to be something for somebody else. And, um, and now I'm comfortable doing that, but it took me a while to get there, you know, to feel that level of comfort. But, um, well, dude, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad you're well and your family are well. And, uh, hopefully when this world gets back to some semblance of normalcy, we'll get to, uh, get to a game in Toronto or something or go for some beers or I don't know, do something. I would love that, buddy. I'd see that cavalry scarf behind you on the door there. I'd love to come out to Calgary and check out one of those games, man. I've, uh, I was at the first game in Hamilton, York played forge. Um, but sadly that was the, the only game I got to get to. I haven't even been out, out to see York yet. So man, oh. I would love to get out to Calgary and, uh, and go to a cavalry game, a flames game, just grab a beer with you, bud. Yeah, Have a good old Alberta steak, you know, oh, bud, just, just, just carving in, bud. just carving in, bud. you know what I mean? Just having it. Dude, the, in the game day, in fairness, the game day experience in, at Calgary is amazing. It's Spruce Meadows. The way they have the ground set up, it's just kiosks, bands playing. You get there a couple hours early, lots of food going, beers. It's it's amazing game day experience. They put a lot of work into it, and I think it'll just get better every single season. Um, so I'm kind of brokenhearted that, yeah, I haven't been able to, because the weather's been getting nice here now. So I'm like, oh, man, it could be Saturdays. It's Spruce Meadows. It's got the jersey, the scarf. Let's go. Um, so, yeah, you'll definitely have to get out when this gets back up and running. Will do, buddy. Definitely. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun. I enjoy right. laughing with you. And always good to catch up, bro. For sure, man. Take care of yourself, and uh, we'll talk again soon. There it is. Great sit down with Brendan. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, as I said, just a great dude. Always great to catch up with him in any capacity, and it was great to finally have him on the podcast. And uh, I'm telling you, if you guys have not watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan doc, on Netflix. It is one of the best things I've seen made. I love documentaries and I got to say they hit the ball out of the park with this one. It is just so well done. It is all the inside stuff you want to know. It is all the questions and the rumors answered. It is, it's so well done. So check out the last dance on Netflix if you can. And, uh, yeah, if you're a sports fan and, uh, you remember that era at all, it is something that, uh, you will really, really enjoy. Anyway, hope you guys are well. Thanks again so much for the support. I really, truly appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Do the little things to take care of you. And be kind to everybody else out there. And try and laugh every single day. Find something to laugh at, okay? Try and do that. Thanks again for all the support. I appreciate it. You guys take care. And I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.